Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master ChatGPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris for Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. Today, I'm super excited to have on the show Aaron Nobler, a CX researcher and designer who I've had the great pleasure of working with on a project before, who's taught me a lot about customer experience and how best to leverage it, and is here to shed a little bit of light on that subject for all of us. Welcome, Erin. Hello. It's nice to see you again. Excellent. All right. So CX is one of my favorite topics, Erin, for many, many reasons. But one of the things I think is interesting, I was talking to a client and they were like, you know, we don't really have CX. And I was like, mm, excuse me? And they're like, oh, we don't really have CX. I'm like, you may not have a, C, like a customer experience team or a person, but 100% there is a customer experience happening. And I think that that, you know, it's whether it's intentional, it's whether it's positive. And this is like software or hardware. There is always an experience. And I think what you've done when we work together is really helped me to understand that and to show just how important understanding customer experience is for like, every decision that you make in the organization. So those are your really big shoes to fill today, Erin. If you could just <laughs> drop a little bit of knowledge on us, that would be great. No problem. In 45 minutes, I'll get everyone with getting their CXPA and fully be a full-time CXer. So <laughs> I have that magical power. Oh, I, I, oh, I, I wish. wish I could bestow that level of knowledge. I often talk about myself as a CX nerd and very excited to talk about it. So in some ways, keeping it to a short amount of time will be challenging just because I love having these conversations with other CX practitioners or those that are new to CX as well. So awesome. All right. So for those who haven't had the pleasure of working with you on a project before, Erin, give us a little bit of background. What is the Erin origin story, right? Why are you so passionate to like, why is customer experience your passion? And, and dare I say your superpower? Yeah, I love that. So my background, we're going to go a little far back for this, but I actually have a sociology degree. And the reason that I share that is, is that sociology, you know, one of the framings for that is behavioral science and really understanding how you take data and apply that to how humans are making decisions or choices. A little bit more of the psychological framing for sociology, so social psych. That really developed interest for me about turning data into insights in this way, where you think about data, which we call qualitative meaning the data that is not traditionally in numbers, but instead might be the language people are using and coding that. And so I joined a startup back in 2012 and found this rich opportunity of customer data that wasn't being utilized, that could be turned into additional actual information for growth of the company in terms of product and use that information to launch what became the second most used feature in the app. And that again is coming from that qualitative data 
And from there, I was addicted, to be perfectly honest. Like then there became this opportunity to turn that love that I had for sociology and bring it right back into the work I was doing with startups. And from there, just dug deeper and deeper in customer experience as really a field has grown and grown and grown. Mm -hmm. So that has also encouraged me. Now there is so many more opportunities to get certified in it, learn about it, learn from others. The field is really growing and how we measure things. And so... So really, that is the origin story, but it has just kind of exploded since then. Yes, I love it. Well, let's talk about that. Let's do a little like level setting. So we're going to use CX and customer experience a lot. Kind of what do we mean by that? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of ways to think about it. Oftentimes, people have heard about customer experience and it is even in titles when it is just the customer facing teams. So kind of like what you were talking about, every company has some level of customer experience. They might not be titling it that they might be doing. So the experience they have with their customers, when your customer calls for support, or perhaps you have a customer success team, or it's an account management team, right? And so Oftentimes, there is someone who is heading that who might be called the head of customer experience. And they are thinking about some of those data points we were just talking about. So perhaps it is looking at qualitatively what the details are coming in from support and turning that information into product changes like I talked about. However, I would argue that the kind of CX that I like to do and the CX that I think is much more impactful is to really grow that maturity from that group and build it end to end. And so that is this 360 degree view of customer experience that we're going to talk some more about, which really looks at what is every touch point in the journey that a customer is interacting with. So what do I mean by that? You can imagine that the customer lands on your website, right? What is that interaction? The customer gets an email from you. What is that touch point in that interaction? All the way through the entire journey, we often label this the customer journey. However, I also do my version of this, which is added on to that, which is we often talk about these touch points, which are created by a business for a customer to interact with. But there are interactions a customer has that are related or tangential to your product that are not created by your company. And so those might be your customer goes and talks to another person who has used your product. Mm. You don't hear about that. It could be the customer doesn't understand how to do something in your product and Google something and you never know about that. And so there are all these little other touch points that happen that are because and in relationship to your product or your service that a customer is also often doing mm. that we don't traditionally think about in the experience of customer journey mapping. And we also don't often think about it before the customer actually becomes a customer. So that's mm. the other part. What is the customer doing to make decisions or understanding about your product or service before they actually, whether it's purchase or something along those lines, talk to you? So those are important parts to me and thinking about, and that is how I like to frame customer experience is beyond including the touch points, but beyond those as well. So in thinking about product marketing and product management, it is everything the customer interacts with on the product, but also all the other pieces that come out from that. Like you can almost think like, well, imagine octopus tentacles coming out, mm, right? Mm -hmm. That interact with as well. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking this through like, yes, you could see it gets really big. So I think one thing we'll want to touch about is like, how do we know we've gotten big enough? Like there is a point where I could 100% never stop digging. But if you think about it, I was thinking about this from like an analogy perspective. If you are riding a train, right? And so you, you have your train is your product. 
Okay. And you think about like in the earlier versions of customer experience, that is like when they bought a ticket, right? There was a person there and like it was a really physical, I bought a ticket or if I called because the train broke down or whatever. Then there's the, okay, but your experience is a whole lot more. It's how you park. It's how you got on. It is the comfort of the seat. It is whether the bathroom, I assume trains have bathrooms, uh, has is well stocked, right? There's this whole piece of the experience. And then you're talking about like, we're going to even go like zoom out a little bit further. And like, how did they get to the train station? What made them decide to take the train? Like, how did they decide to go somewhere, right? Like, is that that we're kind of thinking about like bigger yeah. and bigger? Yeah. So if you think about the train and the example of parking you used, right? So you might, we might make assumptions without customer experience that a person drives because they have a car or doesn't drive because they don't have okay, a car, right? right. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. An assumption that you might make that is very logical. In that case, it may in fact be if you did customer experience research, you might learn that they've decided not to drive because the parking lot is challenging for mm. them to negotiate and take so much of time, for instance. It might be a distance they're coming right from it. And so understanding those pieces of it are helpful doing in research and thinking outside of it. But to your question of how do you decide how big to go is a great question because I think like anything in business, you can always go down rabbit holes for everything. And it's super easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Question becomes two parts, which is what is the business impact? What are your business goals that you want to frame within it as well? And then also being thinking of what I call size of impact. And so Hmm. the way to frame that is the problem potentially that your customer is having or future state that you are wanting to solve for and improve. How big of a problem is it for the customer? That can be time, how many people it's affecting, how big of an impact can it have on your business goals? Is that revenue? Is that repurchasing, resubscribing, churn, so forth? But it also ends up being operationally and processes that are happening behind the scenes by your team. So in the case of a train, how much of your team is having to help people park Mm. and how much Mm. time is that taking them for when people are struggling? And therefore, that has a business impact that also affects the customer, but is not maybe a direct relationship to the customer Mm. you might normally see. And so you want to, when you're thinking about what it is you want to make impact with, it is looking at it from multiple pieces, which is what is the customer effect and impact and the biggest problems to go solve? But how does that relate to the business goals as well? It can get very big. And so I think it is oftentimes start with the biggest things and also what it is you are capable of doing. Maybe your problem is so big that you know you can't tackle that in the next year. Mm-hmm. So it feels something you have to press pause on and do a work on another piece of it as well. So I think that's important as well. I really like that it's both like, okay, what is the matter is most to the customer, right? The number of people having the problem, how big the problem is them, but also how big is the problem to you internally? And what is the benefit to you when you solve it? The other nice thing about that is, is it again, as we, you and I have talked about, it's really important to ground customer experience efforts in the impact it can have on an organization in order to ensure you get the funding and you get the backing because it can have a huge impact. And when we don't talk about that, we kind of do ourselves a disservice because it's easy for them to be like, oh, that's Erin. She just really cares about the customer and just wants them to be happy. All of that's it. Well, of course she does. But because of the impact it will have within the organization. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've often heard as companies about companies that do customer experience, or even sometimes it's customer service really, really well, they become almost lore, right? So Mm -hmm. an example of this, people have often heard about a person who tried to return a tire to Nordstrom 
Well, we all know Nordstrom doesn't sell car parts. <laughs> they sell lots of things. Car parts is not one of them. <laughs> uh, and the story is that Nordstrom did in fact take the tire back because the address supposedly had been where Nordstrom had been. So it lined up and they couldn't prove that they didn't sell a tire at some point. So they just <laughs> took the so lore, whether or not that happened doesn't even matter at this point is because that story is continued on. There's another one about Zappos where a person understood that the company was so great at customer experience. They wanted to test out how much the customer facing teams were given authority to go and help and do something because that was one of the greatest pieces has been about Zappos is the customer team has authority to go make choices. And so supposedly, again, lore, a person called in and wanted help ordering a pizza and they apparently got help ordering the pizza. It had nothing <laughs> to do with juice, had nothing to do with Zappos product, but again, becomes lore. And so those are the very, the customer experience side that is that customer mm. face mm -hmm. that lore. But it is beneficial to bring this back to how do you tie it back to a business when companies build that kind of customer experience where it becomes lore you are interested and curious about that company. You know you are going to be supported by that company. You already go in expecting a good customer yep. experience, not just the customer-facing side. It becomes the whole experience you think about mm. as that way. So when you think about wanting to frame it for a company about the importance and how to tie it back, I can give an example of a company that I worked with. Great. So this company has a loyalty app. Their customers are small businesses and their goals were really to increase the subscription rate they're happening, their monthly recurring revenue, which really breaks down to retention and engagement. And in doing early insights to discover what was going on with the company and what information they had, they had really great demographic data on these small businesses. So you can imagine things like potentially the revenue or it is, you know, how long they've been in business or things along those lines, potentially some demographic data. They didn't, however, have what we might call behavioral characteristics hmm. of their customers. And the reason why you might want to know that is that helps you understand how your customer is going to interact, not just with your product itself, but different pieces again along that journey. And so it really helps you think about it much more holistically again, that end-to-end -end experience. So the product's really well-loved. So while you have the product really well-loved, those other effects are like dominoes, right? Yep. And so if one of them goes wrong, it affects potentially your experience with the product or it comes back to you later. So I did research to cover those more of those behavioral insights of their customers. And what I learned was really curious that their customers were these self-learners. They were researchers. They really liked to go learn on their own. And they all talked about how busy they were, which mm. the really curious thing about customer experience is sometimes I would say the data kind of slaps you in the face. Like you're like, of course this is. Right. Like, right. Busy. But it might not have been the thing that you had true. thought of, of course right? Not. Yeah. And so when you think about this framing that they are busy and self-researchers and they like to learn on their own, they also talked about the way in which they like to learn was often video. Hmm. So what was curious about the company is they had tons of resources available for the customers, but the customers weren't actually interacting with any of them. So this goes back to looking into the data on other points besides the product itself. And 
they were. They had launched webinars and the webinars had been successful, but to a small few. So we decided to immediately pivot and just test out a small form video content Hmm. and see how that went for educational purposes. And we launched one that was under five minutes. And it was this great opportunity to bring them back into the product because they were going outside of it. They were Mm -hmm. doing their own research. And so fitting the type of content, the way that they wanted that fit with them, what we would call their persona, really helped bring them back into the product and saw this great engagement with those videos and started plugging them in into different parts of the journey. So one-on-one customer interactions, but also the onboarding series Mm. or the Mm -hmm. app or the emails. And so it ends up that these short form videos thread basically what we call the needle between these different departments and experiences, but keeps them essentially in the product instead of going out. So to bring that back up, that essentially increases that retention and engagement because Mm. now the customer is staying with your product, like staying in your product, staying in your communications because it matches what they need instead of making an understandable, educated guess about what that might be. Well, and the the value that you bring in there, there's the you by providing that feedback, you're speeding their time to value. You're increasing their impression of you, right? And again, yeah, it seems obvious, but it's so easy for us to forget that their universe isn't revolving around their loyalty program at all times because ours does, right? Like this is what we focus on. We, so we think about all the time. And we have to remember how often our audience thinks about it. And to your point there too, when? When are they thinking about it? In this case, if we can combine the when they're thinking about it with the information I provide, it's, it's ideal, right? And sometimes those when they're thinking about it is outside your universe. And you've got to think about how to understand that and how to either fix that or be where they are. If I can't get them to stay here, how can I be there? Yeah. It's also, you can think of the framing product marketing and product management is thinking of research in the same way, like tangential to user research as well, right? And usability studies and so forth. Customer experience is about research. It doesn't have to be one-on-one and customer interviews, but it still is applying those similar concepts to all different parts of the journey. Mm -hmm. And it is making sure that you have that data with which to make decisions. Because a lot of the time outside of customer experience, we make those choices about different parts of the journey without data that is directly related to the customer besides maybe funnel data, for instance, how many people are actually interacting with this. By doing more of a customer experience lens, I would say you end up getting more of the information that ties it back to Mm. the customer. Well, that's a good segue because one of the things I want to talk about about is sort of like, okay, I understand the sort of 360 degree CX view. I certainly understand why it's important and the impact it can have. But like, let's talk about like, how do you do it? And I know one of the things you start with is what you were just touching on, like data. And one of the things I think is super cool is Everybody listening has more data, I think, than they realize they have. They have less than they want, but a whole lot more than they think they have, which means you don't have to start from zero. Totally. Yeah, I would say companies are always rich in data. Oftentimes, I think all companies have the challenge, which is we have too much to do and not enough time or people Mm. to do Mm -hmm. it. And that is true of data as well. So I think for customer experience, you can certainly start with the data you have. One that I think is really great and rich that is underutilized is what we call VOE, a voice of the employee. So that is creating structures for your, it can be customer facing employees oftentimes to bring them into perhaps product marketing, product management meetings where they can give some of the insights that they have gathered 
Another is that qualitative data I was talking about. You often have reviews or customer support data or other data where customers have given insights into you that you might not be thematically coding. So if you are able to have one of the programs where you can just start building tagging structures, that Mm. can be an easy Mm -hmm. way to start with what you have and analyze that and just be able to get high level understanding of some of that. What you will often find is that companies have an other group for tagging and Mm. the things follow an other. So you start really iterating and building out that other and figuring out what the right tagging structure is and learn some of that. So it is really looking at those things and starting with that, I would say, is a great place to begin with. If you have more resources, it is branch that out to customer interviews. Like mm-hmm. I was talking about the loyalty program, you find out so much rich data from doing even a little bit of interviews. And so really being able to tie that back in. It can also be surveys. One-time surveys can be great. So maybe in the same way, again, with product marketing, and product management, you might try to learn something. You do that with customer interviews. You have a hypothesis about a challenge that you see maybe brought to you by that voice of employee. You bring in a survey to try and validate that data or get a little bit more. Usually that's low amount of effort. So that's mm-hmm. an easier one mm-hmm. to bring back in as well. You can establish repeatable surveys. So just those surveys that might be customer satisfaction. Most of us are familiar with that can be the smiley faces, Mm -hmm. but making sure you have someone also to regularly look back at that data and report on it is important. Branching beyond that and really getting into deeper is doing things like journey mapping. As you can imagine, journey mapping is huge. So some of that is focusing in on one part of the journey. Mm -hmm. One of those can be what is the content focus, really understanding. I know we did this with Pragmatic really understanding what are the different communications customers are getting from different departments. What is the timing of that? How does one communication potentially affect other communications and maybe a customer not reading them? It's great to pull in your marketing team often in that because they'll have some data about how many customers are clicking or opening. Mm -hmm. And so really tying those back in. And I just... I was just going to echo that one. I think it's a really great place to start too, because journey mapping, again, I was doing a a different podcast today. It's so important, right? But it can feel like an overwhelming in the way that we're talking about, like, where do I stop mapping that? Communication that you send is a small piece of it, but it's bigger piece of it than you think. And it is a great place to start because you have all the information in the house somewhere. It may not all reside in one department and it won't it will not reside in one department. And that's where you will find a shockingly large number of overlaps and timing, right? Where things are automated, but supports automated processes different than marketing automated process, the different than the automatic ones from the system. And if you haven't done that effort, mapping those is a really good place to start to understand the journey you're communicating to them, how the path you're taking them down, right? Because it's like yeah. that you're sending, they're getting all of these, <laughs> whether you realize that or not. Yeah. And then it's the add to that. If you are able to do customer interviews, it is what are your customers actually interacting from that as well? Chances are your customers are ignoring or don't remember Mm -hmm. some of those communications altogether. Maybe some are more likely landing in their spam or if they have Gmail, there's the lovely promotional folder that things go to Mm -hmm. die often for people. So I love Gmail. No no hard feelings. (laughs) But yes, I think one of the other parts in journey mapping is, is that you will often bring in again, that voice of the employee. So you'll bring in people from different departments. One of the things I heard you talk about is that there are really what we call silos, right? That happen to departments, of course, like you can't possibly know what's going on in other departments. And so customer experience 
is really great for bridging the information between them. And by having a collective group come in together to think about that journey mapping, you start to understand, again, that domino effect about how one piece affects the other and people are able to tie things together, which then leads to how you start changing processes Mm -hmm. and operations potentially that are happening on the back end that slow things down. So, you know, an example, we were just talking about this in Pragmatic. I think there were some automated emails that went out that were very valuable, but were also being duplicated by human efforts, which took Mm -hmm. human time. So what was the right path to figure out to potentially combine those? So you might save operationally and process the human time if you could learn, in fact, that the automated one was getting to the person and they were interacting with that one. So you might need that customer interview data. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that you look at that, right? You talk about looking at the data you have, doing the customer interviews, doing the journey mapping, looking at your processes, like all super valuable. But like that's all going to take time, right? So it will slow us down, right? Aaron, we're just going to get products slower. <laughs> yes and no, no. So I think I, customer experience is a robust piece. I, yes. I don't want to hide that. It is, again, think of those business goals. It really does. We talk about it creates customer-led growth, right? So what we're talking about Nordstrom again, it brings people to know about your business. It keeps them engaged. But Totally agree. They become, as we talked in the beginning, there's really large projects sometimes and that can take a really long time to execute on. And so I like to also think about like when we talk about tying back to business goals, what are things you can do that you can execute on quickly? Again, that idea of like, what is the impact and time it's going to take to do? Oftentimes we're familiar, right, with MVPs or fail mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. Is there a way you can learn quickly? Potentially, maybe that is launching a smaller scale of something instead of doing it larger, right? So maybe you only send it to a group of your customers and test it out that way. I think that is one of the ways to be able to do so quickly. It's also interesting to to really think about like a roadmap for it. So, so I'll give an example. A company I worked with had one of the communication challenges that we talked about and they weren't able at that time to really do a version of closing the loop, which is really understanding what customers were doing after they received a message. What were they, Mm. were they doing all the things the company wanted them to do from that communication? And you can imagine if you have a robust set of communications that that is a lot of work for IT department or development to put that in place. So instead of building out a whole new communication plan, which would have involved marketing and design and IT and development to get that done, decided to focus instead on just doing the first communication and really not doing a heavy redesign of it, but instead just doing a bit of a content change and doing tracking on it. And as a result of that, and we were able to ship it really, really quickly. And that one change allowed us then to build an automation onto it because if the customer, and if that, then this scenario, Mm -hmm. if the customer didn't interact with that email based on the tracking we had and the way we expected them to, Then we sent them a new, like a text message, basically. So that way there was another way to connect with them. And by doing those two things, we're actually able to lower the amount of volume that was coming in to customer support Mm. with inquiries, because now they were actually getting that communication via that second automation, basically. And so it's a really great example of impact that can happen really, really fast that got implemented pretty quickly that actually affects the bottom line for the company in terms of building much more efficiency for the customer support team, operating less people, but also customer satisfaction. Customers aren't having to call to find this information anymore. 
But I know when we did our project and it was, you know, three years ago or something, right? And it, it took many months altogether. But it was really interesting because when we did the final report, right, on the customer journey, along the way, there was also an enormous amount of progress we'd already made. It wasn't like Aaron found a, you know, a problem and we're like, well, we'll wait till the very end. And right. There were a lot of things that we were able to improve and address along the way. So we got value at every step, not just at the sort of quote unquote completion. Yeah. I think, I mean, any human being also, you want more immediate satisfaction and gratification, right? So I think that even for a lot of customer experience professionals, doing something like an MVP or fail fast or shortening your roadmap really allows you to get that gratification too. So I just think it's building that into the process is making sure Mm -hmm. that you assess the risks and decide that you can go ahead and do those and they feel good to do. Yeah. All right. So in addition to those little like, here's the antidote, here's the problem we solve, but how else does one show? How do you measure like customer experience, both like the baseline of where it is today, but also like your improvement that all of this effort, all of the work of Aaron and everyone else is having an impact. Yeah. So some of those company goals often are some of the ways that you measure customer experience, right? So some of those are, what is the engagement looking like? What is the retention? Looking at the reviews and coding those in churn, right? Those are ones we're pretty familiar with in general, but I would say looking at them through the CX lens for instance, might be looking at that qualitative data to add more color hmm. to what's happening, right? So really, you know, an example, reviews are pretty challenging to thematically code. There aren't, there aren't a lot of opportunities to do that. So that can be something that with a CX professional, they might do what's called sampling and be able to pull specific ones that are not biased as much as one can be as a human and pull them out and start coding them as well. We code for emotion sometimes too. So you might be coding for what is the emotional experience people are having in response to that as well. Then there are also more specific data or surveys that we're used to, right? NPS, most people are familiar with, is certainly a way that you could measure CX, CSAT, so that satisfaction score, CES, which is customer effort score. So the theory being how much work did it take for your customer to get the answer they needed to get are also measures that we do use in CX. However, I would say that a lot of those are about specific touch points in the journey. And so when you think about customer effort score or CSAT, it is often in relationship to an interaction your customer had with a support agent, for instance, Mm -hmm. or an individual. And so that's great to measure, but doesn't actually tell you about their holistic customer experience. And so that's where things do get a little bit more challenging because you want to pull in multiple data. And that's the thing that I am a really big proponent of is that you don't ever want a single source of data. You should have multiple points of data really coming together to get you that holistic picture. And that can be, again, some of that customer interviews are a really great way to also get that and add to that. What I also like to think about is really designing for new experiences. So new data that you really want to measure as well. And so I recently was reading, for instance, about a company that got rid of CSAT and CES and instead just asked their customers if essentially they had gotten to the answer that they wanted to get to Mm -hmm. by whatever means they had done so. And so it removed a more standard metric to compare to but in that sense, it was a really familiar like idea, but new to people to really think of the framing. And what is curious about NPS, CSAT, and CES is that psychologically, we have seen them so much that most of us ignore them. Hmm. So for instance, how many times do you see in your inbox a how likely are you to refer on a scale of one to 10? Yeah. 
and how many times do you answer it? There is a little bit of bias that happens when something becomes so common that you might not interact with it. So I think there's advantages to, as a company, thinking about more novel ways to measure what feels like success or what is the experience you want your customers to have too. Nice. So yeah, so a little bit more thinking it more holistically, building a program, qualitative and quantitative, all of those things together. And I suspect there's a a certain amount of establishing an understanding with an organization, right? Bringing the organization along in the development of how you're going to measure it so that it's agreed upon, right? So they don't get distracted by this or this or that. That's like, okay, here's the benchmark. Here's all the ways it's calculated or combined. And that's how we're going to think about measuring the success. Yeah. So that is, we often talk about in CX maturity, basically customer experience maturity. And you can sort of think of that almost like uh, early company and how it might launch a product, right? Is early in maturity. So oftentimes customer experience is to go back to what you earlier said, something that you already have, but maybe you are not thinking as a centralized piece of your business. And so as you move in maturity, you are thinking about it more centralized and you are thinking about how to organizationally bring it into the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that brings to what you were talking about, which is what kind of data are we going to measure regularly? How are we going to report on that? What are the relationships we're going to have across departments? And how are we going to bring different people in? Are we going to do VOE? So we bring different people in and really building structure around CX and processes for that as well. And making sure that you really have buy-in from everyone because this is true for product as well. If you don't have your other counterparts in marketing or in customer support with you, it is hard often to move something forward. And they also have insights that are helpful to moving something forward. So I think that is part of building that Mm -hmm. uh, organizational structure and thinking about it like you want to measure your success as a company of thinking about CX as well. And that's that maturity level that is often used. I like to bring in the way to bring people together is a concept of a spec, which is really a Google document or Word doc that gets you thinking about what's the hypothesis of what you're trying to work on. What are the assumptions that you're looking at to go and like that you think are in place automatically? And there's a really baseline assumptions early. It might be that your customer is going to interact with emails is a baseline assumption that might be wrong. For instance, how are you going to go measure so that we were talking about earlier, how are you going to measure that thing for success? And really thinking about that before you even begin building it. So what do you need to have in place to be able to measure it? For instance, how do departments have to work together? And that is back to that organizational structure. By doing so, you really bring everyone into the fold to make those decisions. And then you think about what you're measuring in advance. Love it. All right. Speaking of maturity, you know, when you're thinking about how you're going to optimize this, And there are people listening who do not have CX professionals and they can start thinking about it a little bit more as product people, right? They can certainly do that. But there are people, people like you, who do this, right? That are really powerful and qualified peeps. And I think there are a couple of different models that companies start working with as they go through maturity. So I love to just kind of like talk about the pros and cons that you've seen of both models. Yeah, And I will also add, coming back to, I do think product people or people Mm -hmm. in the can do some of the work. So I want to acknowledge that even if you have someone who is, we'll call them a CXer in your company, whose, you know, sole focus is to work on customer experience. 
you still benefit by working with others and helping them think with that CX lens and learning how to do so. And so I would say that one of the first steps, no matter what maturity you're in or what your resources are, is to help your current employees learn about CX. So that can be taking some classes online, that can be getting certifications. You know, there's the CXPA is a very well-known one, but that takes usually having quite a bit of a baseline before. But I know like IDEO has human-centered design that can be an example to learn about CX, for instance. So there are lots of tools, if you Google, I would say, to start to understand that framing and think about how you want to bring that in. So then consultants. So I have consulted as I did with Pragmatic. And as a consultant, I will say I love doing so. One of the benefits of a consultant is you come in with someone with an entirely fresh perspective. And so because of that, they might think about things Mm, and often mm -hmm, think mm -hmm. things with a different lens than you do. And that creates for, I think, some really interesting collaboration between the two. And I think that can be one of the benefits. It also can be a benefit because your customers, when they're talking to a consultant, often feel like they can be more frank because they don't feel like there's as much buy-in, right? It's not, they're not talking to a person who works there. So it might might be worried about hurting the feelings of someone at Pragmatic, for instance, if you're sharing, there's a piece you don't like. So those are some of the pros, certainly of consultants and others. Obviously, you don't have to hire someone full-time, so the cost is generally lower. The negative side of consultants is not about the consultant themselves, but is instead that that consultant comes in, delivers you room like opportunities for improvement, may even help you launch some of those changes, but oftentimes is not there for long enough to really analyze that and Mm. what the success of it was and then iterate. And really good CX is about continually looking at Mm. the experience. And so even if you have change something positively, you want to come back and look at it and say, did that positive change actually work the way we expected it to? I know a company that, you know, thinking about like adding a chatbot, for instance, and chatbots have positive and negative experiences for people. And so you may think it's positive. And then it turns out that when you look at the data, you find out in the qualitative data, customers are incredibly furious about it, right? Mm. And you don't know that until you're analyzing the qualitative data. So That might be something that a consultant suggests is adding a chatbot. But until you're really looking later on, you don't know the impact of that and to iterate on it, how to improve that. You might need to talk to customers again after it's implemented to learn what could make that better. So then there's full time and bringing someone on, which honestly is my favorite. And that is because of those points about really being able to iterate. Good CX is is not really a band-aid in terms of a one-time fix. It does helpful things, but you really want that opportunity to just continue on. And I think that there's really no way to get that without having either a very long-term consultant who continues to come back or someone who's on full-time. But I think, as you say, even as you make improvements, then the experience changes, right? That's why like it, you know, I, I fixed this one piece. How does that flow down to the rest of the journey? Where else am I seeing changes from that? You don't get from a consultant. But again, like if you can get a consultant, but not a full, like don't not do it. They're great. Amazing. And also I think it often helps that part where you're talking about like of educating the rest of the organization about what customer experience is and the impact. 
it can do a really good job of sort of demoing that and often can sort of start to maybe unlock the potential to hire something internally because they've seen the impact. They've seen the process. They've, they've started to, to get the thinking. And so it can be a step in that right direction. Yeah. And I also, it can be a step to bringing a consultant on for another opportunity of a business mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. work on as well. So I would agree it is not and I, and I really want to go back to consultants have also great value because your customers may interact with them differently. And so yeah, I, think that I think that's super valid yep. value. So yeah, I think it is, it is a great launching point for sure. Yeah. And then when you bring someone in, let's say, yes, we've got to bring a higher in. Do you, are there some best practices or are common things you've seen in terms of where they sit in the organization? So that is a great question because it in fact often is across various different positions. And there seems to be no even real strong opinion on where the right place is. Because mm-hmm. the truth is that CX really is everywhere and therefore nowhere. And what I mean by that is, is that because CX is involving all those different points from marketing to support to product, to even interacting with development, right? And and launching, you know, backend changes and so forth. Because of that, it interfaces with everyone. And so it doesn't really sit anywhere. However, I have seen it, you know, work very closely with marketing, for instance, or very closely with the product team and thinking about it much more from adding on to user experience and really being in relationship to that. So I think really what what is important is to acknowledge that it is going to heavily interact with different departments and building those relationships is the most important piece for both sides, both the customer experience and the other side being the other departments, right? And that it also depends on your business goal. So perhaps putting CX inside of marketing Hmm. for the beginning is a really smart choice because you know what you want to work on is those initial communications and you know those are challenging. And so that's where maybe as a business decision, it makes sense in the beginning to begin there. Nice. Advice for mm-hmm. listeners are like, yep, I have drunk the champagne. I'm totally on board, Aaron. I just, I'm having a little trouble maybe getting the rest of my organization on board to this should be our next hire, our, our 2024 headcount. What are some ways that you've seen work effectively? Yeah. So I do think to bring back to the consultant is a really great opportunity to do so. I think it is hard, particularly to be honest, in our current economy to be able to bring someone new entirely in. I think one of the ways to think about that framing is what I call customer-led growth. Really, we all have heard the story that getting a new customer, I don't remember, it's seven times, but costs an exponential more amount of money than it does to either keep a current customer or that customer to have a referral and bring someone new in, right? Mm-hmm. And so that organic piece. So customer experience directly relates to both keeping your current customer, but also organically bringing them in. And I would add the acquisition experience, making sure that lines up also with your customer. The more you know about your customer, you can also affect acquisition. I worked at a company, for instance, where we brought the language the customer was using into the acquisition, so the advertising, and that ended up decreasing the cost of advertising by more than half because of the fact that now we were using languages the language customers were familiar with. And so I think for when you're thinking about your business, it is go back to what are the business goals and where do you, you have insights about where your customers are struggling. And so what points of struggle do you see in your customers and how do you tie that back to the business goals? And maybe that is the opportunity to either 
make a focus within your company for people to go and work on that initiative that year and do some learning about it or bring in a consultant on that would be the suggestion that I would have. Nice. And then we touched on this earlier, right? That just because we can't bring in a hire or a consultant, as sad as that might make us, that I think our listeners in products, not only are they just critical partners for customer experience, but there are absolutely ways they can help raise the intelligence and the lens and that type of thinking within the organization. And really, I think as not only can we, but we need to, because the product isn't just the software or the hardware or the widget we deliver. It really is. The product is that whole experience they have with us. And, and I think helping to make sure our mind is thinking that way is also just really, really critical. Yeah, I would I would think of it. Your customer doesn't understand that your product is only the website mm. or physical product that you're interacting with. It is all the different pieces for them. It no, is not very just true. that. If a customer is going to share a frustration about something, it may be about the time it took for something to get delivered to them, right? Which was a service issue instead of the actual product itself. It may be about the product. It may be one instance in their product interaction that was so terrible for them. It affects their whole experience, Mm. the concept of like peak end rule. So yeah, I would think like the way to frame that is just to think about that your product really is not just the product as we traditionally think about it, but the whole experience and that you can take that framing and some of the way that you look at things for product marketing and product management and research and start applying that outside and use use your current employees that are in different parts of the organization to also share insights back to you and create that connection so you're moving those silos. Okay, awesome. All right, Erin, you talked, talked about a lot of different things. You gave a lot of great advice. If you were going to have our listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Two things. I have a hard time picking favorites, so I'm glad they're (laughs) I think that qualitative information is underutilized. So it takes a bit of work, but that Mm. is figuring out how to turn your, I call it, turn qualitative information into quantitative information because you can thematically code qualitative information. And then then you have numbers that often resonate with people. And then you can highlight pieces from the qualitative information that bring emotion to the story, right? And so I know at Pragmatic, an example of that was the customers really wanted to know more about like a syllabus in advance Mm, when we were mm -hmm, working together, mm -hmm. understand really the timing of breaks before they came in. And there was a story of one person who'd recently had a child and they, they just wanted to be able to know when they were going to be able to take the break because they had a new baby. And sharing that story, though it was an unusual data point of one, was really impactful because everyone could resonate with yep. that experience and it felt emotional. So you had data that showed on the number side that from this qualitative information in these interviews that so many people were talking about this as a problem. But then you had a qualitative example that fed emotion back into it and the storytelling piece. So qualitative allows you to do storytelling, but turn it into quantitative data. So that is part one. And part two, I would say, is really bringing that voice of the employee into the fold. And so making sure that your customer facing teams, some individuals have a seat at the table in product conversations. So it might be a weekly meeting, it might be bi-weekly, 
but where you might be talking about a new launch you're going to do and getting that insight from them might help you change the perspective of what you're going to do just a little bit, but it also feeds the other way in that it helps them think about what needs to be in place to launch. So an example would be that helps them think, oh, we need a knowledge base. So mm-hmm. we're in a that forward. We need to do training beforehand. And so doing that removes those silos. And silos are one of, I think, the biggest challenges in general to customer experience. And so so making sure there is really that cross-department work happening. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I think, well, you know, sometimes product managers think, well, I don't want to talk to customer support only because you know, they only talk to existing customers. They're not looking at the bigger market. They're only going to hear from the noisy 20%. All of that is why you shouldn't listen to them only. It does not mean you shouldn't listen to them because they have the most regular touch points with your customers. And that is a really important perspective and can be really meaningful, not just from the sort of post-purchase, but you're really going to get feedback through all the, the steps before purchase, certainly within the product. And there is a important voice to listen to as well. So good advice. Here. Yeah. It goes back to, I don't believe in a single source of data. So it is just additional data yeah. to yep. bring in. I'm going to sneak in a third. I told you I don't like favorites, but I will say <laughs> I'm doing some version of journey mapping, even if it's low fidelity, which is you end up whiteboarding it. And bringing, again, that group in to have a conversation about what the different touch points customers are having, which can often include the ones you don't know they're doing, is helpful. I have done a whitebird session that ends up, you know, very not pretty, but really helped center everyone on what to do. And I think that that is something you can do without having a consultant. It certainly helps to have a consultant or full-time CXer to do that really well, but you can do that without. And I think that, for instance, with Pragmatic, is a great way to uncover those communications pieces mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. sit on that. All right. That was worth adding a third. You are forgiven. For <laughs> <laughs> All right, Erin, this was amazing. I think we learned a lot. We got a lot of tools. I really very much appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. And like I said, I'm a CX nerd, so I'm always happy to have these conversations for anyone's listening you are more than welcome to reach out on LinkedIn. I'm happy to have further conversations. And that is not that is not even to hire me. I should say that is just in general to nerd out, as I say on CX. It is absolutely one of my favorite things. She is a great resource for quick questions or topics at all. So I would highly recommend. All right, everyone, that does it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 